0: Morning, church. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, if you have uh, your Bibles, so you can get it on out. Turn to the book of John. John chapter one. Is where we will be this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this day and this time of year. We can anticipate the arrival of Christ. We can be reminded of the beauty and the wonder of God putting on flesh. We can be reminded of the light that will shine because of his life and because of his death and resurrection. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be humbled this morning as we turn to your word. As we read and as we think, as we study, that your spirit would be on the move in our, in our lives, molding and changing us into the image of Christ. It's in his precious name that we do pray. Amen. Like I said, John chapter 1 this morning Like we did last week, we'll read the first 18 verses, but then we'll focus in uh, on a particular section of this passage. Uh, We're doing this a little differently than, than when we were going through Philippians chapter 3, where Philippians chapter 3 is this very condensed argument, just needs to be broken down. We're doing this because... John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18 is just a beautiful passage to read. So that's why we're doing that this week. these, These couple weeks that we're doing this. Anyway, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made it came to bear witness about the light. For the true light, which gives light to everyone, has was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Again, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We ask that your spirit might enliven our hearts so that we could be changed by this, your word. It's in Jesus' precious name. Today we will be focusing in particularly on verses 4 to 13. Like I said last week, next week we'll pick up uh, verses 14 to 18. Last week I talked about how all four Gospels have what we could call an Advent story. Advent being the season that we're currently in. Today's the second Sunday of Advent. Advent quite, quite literally just means the arrival of a notable person. The arrival of a notable person. And I, I talked last week about how this notable person, uh, how John describes this notable person in the first three verses, as pre-existent, as in relationship with the Father, as God Himself, and as Creator. And this is what we need to have in the back of our minds, not just for today's text, but as we go through as we go through anything in the Gospel of John. This idea of the pre-existent. God of the universe in perfect relationship with the Father, who is creator, who comes into this world, and who does something. Who does something. That's what we're going to talk about today. Like I said, though, all four Gospels, they have Advent stories. Matthew and Luke, their their Advent story, their arrival story really is kind of how we all think of arrival stories with the birth of a child. And, and, um, it's not about Right. It's not about the birth of Jesus. It's not about the birth of a child. It's about what that child uh, represents, who that child actually is, what that child is going to do. And So Mark and John, they take maybe a little different approach. John or Mark is is kind of altogether different. He's he's not so obvious that he has this starting point, this this quote unquote, maybe origin story. uh, As as Matthew, Mark and Luke, Matthew, Luke and John are but but he's he's there nonetheless John John wants to show us the deity of Christ throughout his gospel this is the focus that he gives us we know we know most of how we should think of of Christ as God from John because John's focus is the deity of Christ Last week, or in the first three verses, John is going to talk about Jesus using a picture called, the, using a picture, the word, right? The, the picture of the word. It's kind of an odd way of thinking about it, but that's what he's doing. He's drawing us this picture. He's painting us this picture, and the description is that this character is the word of God. And this, I think, is right. John is very much tied to the first couple chapters of Genesis as he's writing this. It's it's very obvious that this is kind of what he's thinking about because the first couple words mirror exactly the first couple words of Genesis. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and John in the beginning God created in, in Genesis. But John picks up on this idea that the very first way that we experience God, the very first way that we experience Christ is through the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then day one, God said, there's the word, and God spoke. And creation comes into existence, let there be light. But we experience God in the same way, not just because creation starts by God speaking, but because God speaks to us. He speaks to us in his creation, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. That if you just open up your eyes and you look out into the universe, God is everywhere. His His maybe fingerprint is on all of creation, from the sun going down at night to the sun rising in the morning. The seasons to plants and animals. God is everywhere in creation, so much so that we are without excuse to not know him, right? So God speaks to us through his creation, but God speaks to us through his people, through his word, through This is how we encounter God first, through His Word. And I think that's why John starts with the picture, Word. But in today's passage, he's going to shift from Word to Light. It's a new picture. It has different values and pieces and parts that we'll dissect as we go through it today. But it's still still another way we are going to encounter our God. So we start the word is pre existent, the word is with God, the word was God, and the word is creator. Now verse four. In him was life. In him was life. I think I don't know, maybe maybe I just am reading into this too much. I think this is a mic drop moment for John in his gospel. This is a magnificent statement that in the word there is life. And I think I think that because because we all really know that we don't have life. which kind of sounds silly because all of us have breath, all of us are alive, hopefully. We'll have life, but that's not what John is talking about, is he? See, in the Garden of Eden, when, when Adam and Eve, when they eat of the fruit, God, God tells Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you, if you eat of this fruit, you will you will surely die. Satan comes in, the serpent comes in, and he says he says, You're not gonna die, you're gonna become like God. And he uses a different Hebrew word, and we're not we're not talking about Genesis right now, but he uses a different word. And 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 when when Eve eats the fruit, when Adam eats the fruit, when we subsequently eat the fruit, which is what we do. What we're doing is we are inherently giving up our right to life, because that's what God means when he says, you will surely die. The only thing that you, by your nature, possess, that nobody can take from you, is death. You don't actually possess life. You don't have the right to life. It's it's really very much amazing that in in that moment, when Adam and Eve, when Eve eats the fruit, and then Adam follows and eats the fruit. It's amazing the mercy of God as he lets them continue to live so that he can He can bring about redemption in, in their lives. You don't deserve the life that you have. And I think we all, maybe we don't say it quite so plainly or bluntly, I think we all recognize that. And the reason why I can say that is because you're here at church. Why else would you be here at church on a Sunday morning We could be sleeping in to hear some dope talk about some guy. Because deep down, we all recognize that there is something inherently missing that we desire. It's life. We all want it. We all desire it. We all need it. And so when John says in him was life. We should really all go, wow, or maybe in terms that we use, we should all say, "Amen." In was life? And so here's where here's where John is going to shift a little bit. He says, "In him was life. In the life was the light of men." I'm going to have to keep my L's straight here on on Wednesday. I kept mixing up my words. I don't even remember what, sin and, and sickness. Sickness and sin, and I kept getting them mixed up. So I'll try to keep them straight here. It was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, light and life are two different things. Life is something that we desire. Light is a picture that John is going to use to, to kind of show us this. Life. This is an analogy. All analogies, when pressed far enough, will fall apart. The light analogy falls apart when we start to talk about black holes, which we're not going to talk about black holes, but for those of you who want to think further on it, you can find out what I'm talking about. But anyway, What I mean by all analogies fall short. So so we could talk about the Trinity. We talk about the Trinity. There's a couple different pictures that we use. We talk about Trinity as water, as as, as H2O, not not water, because water is the liquid form of, of, right? We can have three forms. We have gas, we have liquid, and we have solid, like the three forms of God. The problem with this analogy, where it falls short, is that they can't exist at the same time, right? And so... We we maybe would think that God only exists in one person at at one at one any one particular time. That's not who God is. God is all three at all times. Another analogy for the Trinity is is the egg, right? The shell, the white, and the yellow yolk, and whatever the other part's called. It's sad. But that gives us the picture, okay, these three things, they exist at the same time, and they're different things, but they're all part of the egg. But it it falls apart that by themselves, they're not an egg. If you picked up an eggshell, it's not an egg. It's an eggshell. And the same thing is true with light. But John is going to to pick out this particular thread, and that's what he's going to show us here. I don't know if my controller is telling me it's not actually going. So go to verse 5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in Him was life, a life that we all desire, that we all want. It's it's built into who we are, knowing that we are missing something, and I I need that something. And here comes Christ, here comes the Word, here comes the the second person of the Trinity to give us something, to be something to us that's life, and and John's going to talk about it in terms of life. I talk about light a lot because the Bible talks about light a lot. And actually, I probably talk about, about the about the absence of light more than I talk about light. Darkness, you don't have to teach a child to be afraid of the dark. This is why the Bible uses darkness to as an analogy to represent for us evil and sin. Because there's something kind of built into our character. Something built into our DNA, if you will, that tells us that this is something that's not right. And by the way, I think that continues on until eternity, whenever there will no no longer be darkness. when When all of the light of God will be fully revealed to us and shown to us in its entirety and there will be no more darkness. No more need for a sun and moon and stars because God will be the light. So it says the light shines in the darkness. The life shines in the evil. So when Christ enters into the scene, something fundamentally changes about how we understand good and evil. Turn, turn the lights out for a minute. Oh boy. It's not nearly as dark as I was maybe hoping. This screen is really bright. But we all recognize that there is something about darkness that just puts us on it. You're not scared at this point. I hope you're not scared in this very lit up dark room. But there's something about what happens with light that's absolutely incredible. John tells us that, that, that he's that in him was life, and that life is the light of men. There we go. That life is the light of men. It says, and the light shines in the darkness... And darkness has not overcome it. Darkness has not overcome the light because darkness cannot overcome the light. The word that's in the Greek actually is a little bit, we could translate it as overcome. I think that's a good translation. But it it also can mean understand. So darkness cannot understand light, therefore it cannot overcome light. Really, as as we 21st century science buffs know, darkness is not a thing. It's, It's the absence of that thing. And so therefore, when the light comes on, go ahead and flip that light, boom, no more darkness. The darkness goes away. In him was life, that life is the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and darkness is gone. This is who Christ is. This is the life that now resides with us on the earth. This is what John's talking about, the incarnation of of God, the incarnation of the Word. In in next week's passage, we're going to read that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Life became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. When he does this, darkness flees. The light is really quite incredible. So we we wake up in the morning, right, and the sun comes up. And the sun is really relatively very, very close to us. It's very close to us. It's only a couple million miles away, a couple hundred million miles away, or something like that. It's like eight light seconds. The next closest star to us, next closest star to us is four Point three. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to do this off the top of my head. Memory, memory here. It's like 4.3 light years away. A light year is, is 5.8 trillion miles. 5.8 trillion miles. We get to the point when we're talking about the distance between us and other and other light-giving objects, right? The, the distance is so great that we can't talk about it in miles. We have to talk about it in collections of miles, light years. It's four and a half. Four and a half light years, which are all five point eight billion trillion miles away. Get my letters right. And you know what's incredible? That in between us and, that, and those next nearest stars, there is nothing but darkness. Nothing but void. I mean, there's stars and stuff that cross paths, but, but really. And you know what you do when you open up your eyes in the night? You look up if you know where it is. Maybe you don't know where it is, so you're not going to actually look at it. If you look up and you look at that in that general direction, you're going to see that star from the light careening through space 4.3 times 5 billion miles away, trillion miles away. It's really quite incredible, right? Darkness cannot overcome light. Darkness cannot overcome. Them. This is what gets us. I think a little excited about the arrival of this notable person. We're just it's, we're not there yet. It gets better, but we're getting we're starting to get excited. And then John gives us this little interjection, and and, and just to give myself an out here, we're going to talk about verses six to eight next week. I'll give you just just a a glimpse of it here. We need to hear just a a little bit of it. It says, there was a man, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not the John, the author of the Gospel of John. That's John the Apostle. This is John the Baptist. And it says, "He he came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So, all four gospel writers tell us about this character, John. John is a popular name even 2,000 years ago. So there's multiple Johns. John, the Apostle John, John, who we call the Baptist. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those guys, they all call this John, John the Baptist, because that's what he did, he baptized people. But John, the author does not tell us that John is John the Baptist. And he does so because John's purpose, his role, who he was as a person, was not a person who baptized. It's what he did. It's not what defined him. What he was was a witness. Again, we'll talk about this more in depth next week because it fits better with next week's passage. But John... Who is the baptizer? He comes not as one who baptizes, but as one who prepares the way for the Lord. Who's going to proclaim this light for one particular purpose in verse seven, that we might, that we all might believe through him. John comes so that we can know Christ. Comes so that we can know Christ. Then verse 9. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into the thing he made, and the thing he made did not know him. And this might not be odd, right? we we got to really get what John is saying here, because, because lots of people make lots of things that don't know They don't know you as their maker, right? We get that, like if somebody paints a painting, that painting doesn't know that you painted it, right? It doesn't doesn't know that. So we might go, we made it, but, but we're not. Why would we know it? Because the purpose in your creation was to know and glorify God. See, we have relations. Let's talk about this just a little bit. More in depth here. So I, I don't think you quite maybe tracked where I'm going here. We as humans were made in the image of God, and the image of God is relational. God is Trinitarian, so we got Father, Son, and Spirit, and they're in relationship, perfect relationship for all eternity. So because we're created in the image of God, we we cannot be full without relationship. Right? Like we recognize that a cruel punishment or one of the harshest things you could do to a prisoner is put them in solitary confinement. Why? Because they're away from everybody else. And if you're in solitary confinement long enough, most people will go crazy. Because it's built into us to need other relationships. God did not create you because he needed more relationship. He's completed himself. God doesn't need you to fulfill something within him. We might form relationships. We might might find a a significant other or might form a new friendship because we need that friendship in order to function more properly in society, in the world. God does not do that when he creates us. Nor does God create us because of some other circumstance. When we talked about the doctrine of creation a couple weeks ago, we talked about the the different creation myths that are around the people of Israel. And how Genesis chapter one is kind of a is kind of an attack on those. Right in the Enuma Elish, the, the, the gods kind of have this little battle, and one of the demigods dies, and that's what becomes the earth, because now this eternal body is there, and so the other gods are like, Well, we might as well make the earth out of it, and from the blood of that guy we'll make man. So they make it out of chaos, they make it because there's this celestial body that can't go anywhere, and, and so they that's why that's why they create. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that God creates because God is creative. But not only does God create because God is creative, more importantly, God creates because he's created us to know him and to worship him. Now, sometimes what we do when we think about that, we think that God created me, God created all of this, so that we would know him and worship him. That seems a little arrogant, which, by the way, is an extremely arrogant thing to think. But we we realize we realize that there are certain people who deserve the arrogance that they might have. Right, before LeBron went to LA, right, he said this he said this thing that blew everybody's mind. He said, I'm the I'm the greatest basketball player to ever live. And everyone went, Oh my. But all Cleveland fans, we all went, Yeah, but he's really good, so he's allowed to be arrogant. When we do this with me and I'm gonna knock that down. We do this with man. Why why is it any different with the creator and the sustainer of the universe to think that God can't create us to know him and worship him? This is why John then says, and why it bears so much weight, that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. Your very existence is to know God. And here comes God in the flesh into the world and the world has no idea that that's God. It's quite astounding. But it's not even it's not even that good of a situation. Maybe we'd be all right if we just simply didn't recognize him. He looks different than I expected. Right? You ever hear somebody on the radio and then you see a picture of them in real life? You're like, that's that's not who's speaking there. Maybe we did that. But no, 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 no. Because Jesus didn't just come. He came and he said, I'm God. And you know what we did? Verse 11 says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, John is primarily talking about the people of Israel. And God spent a significant amount of time preparing the people of Israel to recognize Christ and to know him when he came and to receive him when he came. He spends a significant amount of time there. From, from Abraham in about twelve hundred, like twelve hundred years or more, fifteen hundred years where God is preparing the people of Israel to recognize Christ when He comes. And yet, not only do they not recognize Him, but they reject Him. They crucify Him. The God who created you to know Him and worship Him, not only did you not recognize Him, but by the way, you also did not receive Him. It would be wrong for us to believe that John is just talking about the people of Israel. Because in the very next verse, John broadens it out to everybody else. He says in verse 12, but to all who did receive him. There are people in this room who did receive him who are Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. I received him. So I was included in that first group. I did not receive Christ at first. I didn't recognize him at first. And, and, and I, I grew up in the church. That for two thousand years has been talking about this Jesus, and yet We're created to know the light when it shines upon us. And yet we didn't. And yet we didn't. But but verse twelve. I told you we're gonna get excited because the life is coming to the world and the light is and the life is the light of men, and and it's good, right? It's good. It's really good that you can't, darkness cannot overcome it. But, but here, is the, here is the kicker. Here is the beauty. Here is everything. Here is everything. Because the light comes in and casts out darkness. And yet when light casts out darkness, we go and we reject it. And yet, and yet, there is continued grace. We'll talk about this next week. Grace upon grace has been given to us. It says, but all who did receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name. I talk about this probably more often than, than necessary, but I have this little pet peeve probably. So it's an oddity. I'm an odd person, and I have lots of oddities, but this is one of those odd ones that even I recognize as odd. I wanted all of my children's names to have meaning. Mean like my name Ryan means little king it has absolutely nothing to do with me. I'm not little, nor am I a king. In the ancient world, in Israel especially, names matter, right? In some in some Middle Eastern cultures, you didn't name somebody until they entered adulthood, or you changed their name when they entered adulthood, because a name meant that you knew who that person was at their core. You knew who that person was. So I would never have been called Ryan, right? You would have been called something else. So I wanted all my children's names because I wanted to have some association with the Old Testament. That's the oddity of it. It's not that my kids have meaningful names. It's that the reason, right? But I digress. So when, when John says, but all who but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he's not saying who believed in. That his name was Jesus. But believed that his name, which means Savior. They believed in in his name, Emmanuel, God with us. They believed in his name, which isn't really a name. It's more of a title, Christ, Messiah, the anointed one. The one to come to rescue. When we say that we believe in his name, we believe not only that he is going to come as a baby in a manger, not only is... As, he, as a man dying on a cross, but also the name that's written on his thigh in Revelation 19. It's the conquering warrior. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. This world is so ridiculously complex. Can we all agree on that? Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy, the complexity of this world. And the complexity of how exactly we got to the place that we're at. The culture that's around us, the society, the, the, the families, the interactions. My sinfulness is complex. It would be, really, be really different if sinfulness was really just black and white. It's not, right? It's gray. Most of the time, it's really gray. There's obvious black and white sins. But the gospel, however, as Paul puts it, is foolish because it's so simple. Christ is the light who banishes darkness. And for those who receive and believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. It is that simple. It doesn't get any more complex than this. Now, we can talk about doctrines and theologies and all this kind of stuff, and that's all nice and wonderful, but but it is not the simplicity of the gospel. In the midst of darkness which we all dwell in, the light has entered, the light has cast out darkness, and the light has called you to receive it. John ends this little bit with this phrase in verse 13 we all have the right he gave the right to become children of God in verse 13 who were born not not of blood not of a lineage from Abraham not, not of the will of flesh not because a man and a woman had desire not even of the will of man Missy and I before we had children we went let's have children and we had a desire and we had children None of that is the reason why I am rescued, but because of God. He gave me the right to become God's child because of God, born of God. The pre existent word was with God from the beginning, who was himself God, is himself God, the creator and sustainer of this world that I have rejected has come into this world to shine a light brilliant and bright that casts out darkness casts out darkness from around me and casts out darkness from within me and if I receive him believe in his work believe in who he was he has given me the right to look to the Father and call Him my Father. Amen? Let's pray. Abba, Father, we As we read your word this morning, we are reminded of your tenderness towards us. When you talk of darkness, you inevitably mean us. Because in the beginning when you created, you created everything very good. It was man's sinfulness that brought corruption, that brought darkness. And yet in your love, in your steadfast, unconditional love for us, Lord, you sent your Son into this world as light to cast away darkness and to be our great Redeemer, to be our rescue. Lord, help our hearts our minds and all that holds us back to be humbled, to be softened. Let our eyes be open. Let our ears hear the wonderful invitation of your Son to receive his word and to receive Receive our sonship into your family I praise your name I glorify your goodness And I pray all of this In his wonderful and precious And amazing